0: This week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Exascale updates and early career insights.
1: Notes from the Rice, Oil, and Gas HPC Conference.
0: It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Tiffany Trader. And Tiffany, This Week in HPC, we were in Houston for the Rice, Oil, and Gas HPC Conference, which has been an annual favorite of mine. And, man, that conference keeps getting bigger.
1: It really was. It was an excellent event, just so well run by Jan Odegaard from the Ken Kennedy Institute at Rice and his collaborators. They had the highest attendance ever this year. I think they, they, they hit 580 attendees uh, and a really nice mix of attendees from across the industry and vendor community and, and some of the government lab community was there as well.
0: I've even noticed now HPC experts from other commercial industries starting to attend this event just to get the crossover insights from oil and gas, which tends to be one of the most scalable uses commercially of high-performance computing.
1: Yeah, I noticed that same thing as well. You know, the, the oil and gas conference was, was not just about oil and gas. There was a lot there for that I think anybody in the HPC community could appreciate and benefit from.
0: And one of those crossover things that wound up being my favorite panel of the whole conference, Andrew Jones from NAG, the Numerical Algorithms Group, he moderated a panel that he uh, marketed as an early career panel where he took five different participants from different organizations who were all earlier in their career in HPC with the goal of saying rather than have the same oldies like us talk all the time. Let's get some of the fresher insights. But he moderated a panel on a lot of the same hard hitting topics we would have given people we've recognized for a long time in this industry. And I'll tell you what, it was great to hear a new set of insights. I thought they did really well.
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely a highlight uh, for both of us, and we all we all also know Andrew as HPC Notes on Twitter, and he had these he invited these five early career panelists who were just fantastic, and I like the way that he went about it too. He had three people picked out in advance, and then left two slots open so that he could could invite some folks uh, that he met at the show. So those those two they didn't even have the advance notice, and they they still killed it as well. And you know I want to give a little a little love to the to the presenters who stepped up and, and were on the panel. I'll just, I'll just read off their names. We had Samantha Kribsbach from ExxonMobil was up there. Jao Barbosa from TAC and uh, Bosun Du from BP. There was also Lou Wang from Halliburton as well as Patrick Blanchard from Chevron.
0: And he hit, he hit them with really interesting questions like, what have you seen from earlier in your careers that you think the company, you know, do, does your company have any old established habits that you think could be refreshed with new ways of doing things? Or, or what do you see as the big barriers to scale going forward? It was great to hear the, the, you know, the, the relative newcomers answer those questions with fresh perspectives.
1: I was just impressed with all of them, their knowledge, their interests, their their articulation, their insights. Uh, it was just really good. And one of the interesting questions that that came up, and and kind of a tough question uh, too, and and you got to weigh in on it, was this question about the the benefit of disclosing some of your some of your advantages that that you have in the oil and gas business. You know, we see companies uh, like BP and Total and any you know, they tend to talk a little bit more about what they do and announce, you know, things like uh, the the peak petaflops of their 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 clusters. And then you have uh, Shell and Exxon, you know, who are who are a little bit little bit uh, more reticent to talk about these things. And I thought you had a great take on it.
0: Yeah, you're right. And and Andy does have a habit of sometimes picking on an audience member on the fly. And he saw me there front and center, so he hit me with this question. But I'll tell you, my perspective on it is that. You know what we've seen is that there are some some companies, and you pointed out some like b p and and Annie who will talk more about their installations and I haven't seen them that put them at any kind of competitive disadvantage. Oh, I know how many flops or how many nodes or which processors they have you know everyone knows that everyone's got something. And if you have one person who switches companies then then it no then you know the the competitor will know what the resources are. I don't think that's where the true competitive advantage is. I think the competitive advantage is in the institutional knowledge, the software, the programming, and what experts you have using that system not the the specs of the system itself and on the flip side if you're more public about it you can you can take a more definitive external leadership position of saying here are the tools that we empower our scientists with
1: Yeah, great point. And and a slight twist there, you know, the two companies that we just pointed out as being more more reticent to talk about their plans, Shell and Exxon, actually were there at the event talking more about what they're doing. So so there you go.
0: And I got to jokingly ask if they would fill out a survey and Exxon very quickly said no. So that's uh, the same answer we've gotten from Exxon for years. I do suspect they do have some high performance computing resources there, though.
1: Yeah, I I suspect that as well. In fact, you know, there was a there was a workshop. uh, You and I, our our travel uh, schedule didn't didn't let us make it in. But there was they were presenting at a workshop. And I heard that they disclosed the the peak aggregate of petaflops of, of their Infrastructure as somewhere in the 20 to 30 petaflop range, so right about where you know the other leaders in the space are. Um, So that was the the early career panel, but now let's move on to the the other ECP that had a presence at the event, and that would be the Exascale Computing Project.
0: That's right, and Laurie Dyson, who's on this year's HPC Wire People to Watch list, and quite deservedly so, gave an update on the Exascale Computing Project, and I thought that was really instructive, first of all, to tell the audience the difference between ECP, the Exascale Computing Project, and ECI, Exascale Computing Initiative, that ECP, which she was there talking about, is is only one of three portions of ECI. ECP is the portion that invests in software and integrates it with the systems, but not the procurement arm. There's a second lobe of ECI that's that does the system procurement, and then and a third one that does selected program application development. But then within uh, ECP, she also pointed out a very specific definition of exascale that they carry into this project, which is that, yes, they have to hit a peak exaflop. That's part of it, but it's more than just the theoretical peak. One of the intrinsic goals of the program is that they have to achieve 50x improvement on real applications over the 20 petaflop systems that they have today as a requirement for success. So they take the current level of performance at 20 petaflops. One of the goals of getting to one exaflop is they have to go 50x in, in real performance as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a change that we're, we're seeing across the board. We're, we're seeing a, a similar way of looking at metrics um, from Fujitsu, who was also there. And, uh, and TAC too talked about this some X of scale ra- rather than going for a hard uh, flops metric.
0: And she talked about, Lori Dyson talked about the 25 different application targets across the spectrum of the national DOE mission space in national security, energy security, economic security, scientific discovery, earth systems, healthcare. And that was uh, really worthwhile. But the thing that impressed me the most was the time that she spent on developer tools and middleware, the programming models for this space. I heard more about uh, things like Raja and Cocos as tools that I had heard previously. And and I think that was good. That's actually what I've been looking for in this discussion is how do we get the software environments to scale to this level?
1: Yeah, Raja and Coco and SPAC. I heard a, heard a lot about SPAC. And SPAC as well. was so on
0: there. We're going well. to be hearing more about that. Absolutely. And, you know, there were some similarities between that talk and another one you and I were both looking forward to, which was Satoshi Matsuoka of Riken and Tai Tech talking about the post-K system coming into Japan.
1: Yeah, Satoshi uh, gave a gave an excellent update on the on the post K system, which is which is coming up, and uh, we'll just remind our our listeners that there's a, a uh, rekin actually has an open contest right now to name this coming exascale system, and interna- international entries are welcome. Uh, post K will of course feature the Fujitsu A64 FX Arm CPU and uh Satoshi who reminded us he has been pushing from for arm uh, since from the beginning here um he reported that the chip is almost ready to be massively produced um and he told us some uh, some things about the specs as well.
0: He did. He reminded us some of the specs of that uh, ARM64FX processor. It's 48 compute cores plus two or four assistant cores for the operating system. He said it uh, and it has the SVE 512-bit vector extensions, HBM2 on processor memory at a terabyte a second, and 40 gigabytes a second of Tofu D interconnect plus onboard PCIe 3. He said that the processor has near Xeon class integer performance, which is not to say it's exactly at par, but close to Xeon or Xeon class for integer. Presumably, it's a little behind that on floating point. But then he also gave some benchmarks that were interesting, particularly with respect to memory bandwidth.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and he also listed a peak teraflops as be- being between 2.74 and just a tiny bit over three double precision peak memory bandwidth at 1024 gigabytes per second, a Linpack efficiency 87.7%, and offering greater than 15 gigaflops per watt. Um, and then the Stream Triad benchmark, I think, is one of the things he said he was he was most pleased with: 840 gigabytes per second on the Stream Triad.
0: You know, the stream triad is a benchmark that I remember from a lot earlier in my career when I used to be doing marketing for shared memory systems at SGI, and the memory bandwidth was a big advantage over clusters at that time. And it's great to see the stream triad back. We haven't really seen it too much, and that can really matter a lot in application performance for memory-bound types of applications. And I I know it's been a uh, a big benchmark that the ARM community has been pushing. I also noticed in his presentation one similarity and one difference from the framework for Exascale comparing uh, this this Japanese uh, plan for the post-K Recon system. First of all, he didn't use the word Exascale in this talk so much. He did say that the goal was a 100x application speed up from the current 10 petaflop k which starts reading like exaflop but he didn't say anything about peak exaflop i haven't heard anything in re- in, in within the last year that that's that guaranteed that the post k system would in fact be a peak exaflop system it sounds more and more like there's a bit of a hedge on that might come down to budget and availability
1: yeah, that's a really interesting observation, and I've kind of seen things go back and forth on this, where they were shying away from Exascale, and then at SC, they really stepped up definitively um, saying Exascale, and now now maybe there's a slight backing away again. So we'll just have to wait and see, but I don't think we're going to have to wait that long, because if I recall correctly, he said the installation will be starting fourth quarter of this year rolling into early 2020.
0: That's right. So one thing he did get into a little bit was timeline, and and it is a a quick timeline now. This uh, could be in before some of the American systems that we're looking at under ECP with, as you said, installation beginning fourth quarter of this year and then into 2020 and then going into production operation late 2020 into 2021. That would put it ahead of, the Argon 2021 system coming out of ECP. One other final note on Satoshi's talk, he certainly gets the Road Warrior Award for this, uh, for this conference, not only for having come from Tokyo, but due to some late schedule changes on his part. He arrived in the morning on Tuesday and then left back for Tokyo later Tuesday evening, also having been traveling on his birthday overnight. So really kudos to Satoshi for showing up and pulling off that presentation. That was impressive.
1: That's absolutely the case. And I want to make a segue into the K computer, which has also been working really hard. It's still running after seven years. This is the, the computer that the post-K will, of course, replace. Still running after seven years, still in the top 20 of the top 500. However, we've we've found out that that system will be decommissioned in, in mid-August to enable preparation uh, for the, the success.
0: Yeah, and as great as K has been, you know that's an interesting point. It gets decommissioned in August, which means we now go into a months or even year long period without that major national supercomputer in Japan, and before its replacement arrives.
1: If Satoshi hadn't run to the air, hadn't had to run to the airport, that's the question I would have asked him.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, you can respond to it. These are all of our, our favorite Twitter people. Uh, we, so you can always send them a direct message or, or, or tweet at them and see if you get a response. Now, ultimately, this is an oil and gas HPC conference, and I don't want to slight everything that we heard about oil and gas specifically. I always feel like I learn tons when I go to these conferences, and we certainly saw the application of HPC and tools in AI for things like uh, the interpretation of salt domes and doing better migration uh, algorithms. But uh, you also got a whiff of a new system that's going in from uh, Down Under Geophysical.
1: That's right. I, I got the chance to speak with Down Under Geo Solutions CTO Phil Schwan, who was also a presenter at the event and of it's an interesting story, you know, Doug interestingly has uh, bought out all of Intel's remaining 5 nights landing inventory. That's 38,000 wafers. And and once these are are made into chips, they're going to be installed in this 250 single precision petaflops, Doug McLeod data center. It's also called the Skybox data center. It's in the Houston area. And pending yields on those wafers, they will have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40,000 Phi nights landing nodes also bringing in a smaller uh, cluster that they also have in the area and, and, and blending, blending those together. Uh, so Schwann is obviously a, a huge fan of, of the k
0: Yeah, it's a big final win for KNL. We have to emphasize that it is a final win. That line's not being continued, although a lot of it's been rolled into the ongoing Xeon, Xeon Platinum at the high end. But uh, but the Xeon Phi uh, getting sunsetted there, and uh, Doug is going to have the big final installation.
1: Yeah, they they also noted that they're, they're pretty sure that they are Intel's largest customer of the Xeon Phi, the Knights, both the Knights Corner coprocessor and the Knights landing chip as well. Um, and everything that they've installed starting about five to six years ago is, is still running. Um I had an interesting conversation with Phil about Intel and the Phi and how when they did the rollout that they and this is something we've talked about that they're that they set expectations too high with Phi saying that it would be as easy to use as a, as a Xeon. and I, I think we've we've all heard that that uh, criticism um uh and it's it's of course it's not you know there's still t- there's still work to be done if you want to benefit from those 60 to 70 cores it's um never going to be just uh as easy to use um as the mainstream Xeon, but the other thing I thought was was interesting that Phil brought up and that I agreed with is that they could have also handled the end of life on Phi in in a different way. You know, Intel came out and they said the Xeon Phi is wasn't selling well, so they're going to end the line, uh, and they kind of left it at that. But really, I think they 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 missed the opportunity to um, have it messaged as you know they had this Phi with all this the technology and all the cores, the AVX 512 the high bandwidth memory um, as an optional package. And, you know, they they could have been teasing that as uh, successful things that they would be rolling into their mainstream Xeon. So I don't know, as a journalist, maybe I shouldn't be on the side of more effective marketing message, but I, I thought it was a good point.
0: I, I think it is a good point, and that Intel in particular at the high end has had to manage a lot of these very difficult conversations. But nevertheless, it is an impressive win to get with the Xeon Fly line and uh, and good to see that going to commercial industrial use. So a wonderful conference, as always, in Houston, the Rice, Oil & Gas HPC Conference. We've got more conferences coming up on the very near-term horizon. Next week, I'm going to check out BioIT World West and OCP in San Jose. The Supercomputing Frontiers Conference will also be going on in Warsaw, Poland, which I wish I could go check out, but I'm going to be staying closer to home. Coming up right on the heels of that will be GTC. And then after a brief respite, we're back around to the HPC Advisory Council in Lugano, Switzerland. So conference season in full swing.
1: That's right. We'll, we'll be there at GTC as well. So we'll see you there.
0: All right, Tiffany. Thanks a lot. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing, For more information, visit intersect360.com.